On today's episode of the Rami LaVie podcast, we have Justin Shackle, the fill-in radio voice of the New York Yankees, filling in for John Sterling. We talked all things broadcasting, his journey to get to the Yankee booth, and a whole lot more. It was an awesome conversation. All that and more coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Rami LaVie podcast. I'm actually not in the studio today, but I had a special guest this evening join me. And I'm going to bring you that interview in a second. But I just want to tell you, this is the uh, fill-in voice for the Yankees. He's been doing the games on the radio for John Sterling. John has taken a couple of days off uh, on road trips this year. So he's filling in for John Sterling. And my conversation with him was awesome. I've kind of connected with him a little while ago talking about the industry and he's been one of those guys who's been so helpful who's been uh, kind enough to talk to me and say hey here are some tips here's some other things so we had a great conversation about how he got to where he is talked a little bit about the Yankees so all that stuff is coming up it's really awesome so here it is all right kind enough to join me is the voice of the New York Yankees Justin Shackle on a Yankee off day. Does that ever get old hearing the voice of the New York Yankees? I know it's relatively new. I mean, definitely on a fill-in basis. So John's obviously the voice, but you're the first person who said that to me, and it's kind of surreal. But I love, you know, the opportunity of keeping his seat warm, for sure. So it is uh, is really cool. It's the team I grew up watching. been a it's been a good year on me yeah <laughs> well i appreciate you doing this thanks for coming on and susan didn't say that when you first started like the first game she wasn't like uh, here's the voice of the new york yankees justin shackle you know i don't think so i can't recall at that moment i think my heart was in my throat so i'm <laughs> I not imagine. i can't i can't recall for sure um but you know she's you know i think she said something along the lines of filling in for for john this weekend or something like that and then she ran off some of my credentials but uh i, I that moment, uh, yeah, I, I have a, a blur. Complete, it's a it's a blur, and uh, I tell people I truly wasn't nervous leading up to the first series I filled in for him until right around five minutes before first pitch, and I realized, well, I can't walk out the door, so let's go, let's get it going. Uh, actually, but yeah, that's true. I actually heard an interesting comment about that. Um, someone was saying about his first time on ESPN hosting Sports Center, where I forget who it was, but he said like. I was a, I wasn't nervous going in and people were asking me, why aren't you nervous? And he's like, well, in an over in an hour, it'll be over one way or another. So I guess <laughs> he's like, so I'm just not nervous. But yeah, it's hard to have that mentality. I remember the first show I produced here at Odyssey. Also, I was like, it's the first live show and I'm sitting there. I know my boss is listening closely and I'm just like, all right, I got to make sure it all goes right. And I, I wasn't as nervous as I thought I would be. And then two minutes before it's like, all right, the, the last commercial break before our show's on air. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is terrible. But you you said you grew up watching this team. So is this like a dream job for you? I would say so. Um, I, I didn't have the dream of doing this when I was a little kid watching and and through adolescence. I didn't have that that dream or desire because I, I never kind of looked that far ahead. But then once I identified 
the career path I wanted to go down, it was something that definitely entered the picture. And it was something that I focused on wanting to do at the same time. It's tough to figure out how you're going to get there because there's really no set path in this industry and in all of this. So to be able to, I guess, go down the right path eventually, maybe not go down, but forge your own path and, and get into the direction where you want to go. I think the surrealness of all that probably is what created those nerves right before first pitch. I don't think that actual job of doing it caused any type of nervousness. I think the good nerves came from the surreal nature of it all that I, wow, this was, this was in front of me. I am sitting in the press box in a radio booth at a major league ballpark and about to call Yankees baseball. So it's uh yeah, it's definitely a dream job. I, I it, it was a, it's a dream job that I only had maybe uh, from when I was 18 years old. I'm 35 now, so it is a while, but it's not something that I thought about when I was say eight, nine, ten years old. All the same, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool to attain that. You said everyone forges their own path, and that's something that I've mm. definitely learned throughout my personal journey. But what was your path? So you, you're a Yankee fan. What was your story to get to this point? So when I was in high school, they had a TV production department, and it was it was more like a program where kids would start to ingratiate themselves into this program, I think, when they were sophomores. And when they were sophomores, there were three classes. When they were juniors, there were only two classes. And then when they were seniors... They all had to be shoehorned into one class. So each year you're on the chopping block and I made it to my senior year. And the responsibilities of that senior class were to put on a monthly magazine show that would go throughout our town over, you know, cable access and also produce a video yearbook. And that was my first like foray into television production, any type of production into this medium. And I was spearheading the sports department. I was calling some of my high school's football games and we put on our first baseball production, which was really cool and really stands out now. But even then I thought, okay, this might be a path I want to go down thinking it would be TV production. Never thought about sports broadcasting. And my teacher in that TV production course, he handed me a flyer one day for a sports broadcasting camp. And at the time, I thought it was the geekiest sounding thing ever. It took a flyer. It was run by Ian Eagle and Bruce Beck. And I kind of was embarrassed about it, but I was interested. I just didn't tell anybody. And again, you're 17 years old. You, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out what's cool and what's not. So I didn't tell anybody about it, but I went and it opened my eyes to the industry. It was a week crash course, basically teaching campers, the ins and outs of the industry, whether it's hosting sports talk shows, reporting, doing play-by-play, interviewing, TV stand-ups, all this type of stuff crammed into one week, and I was hooked. And that's when I knew, okay, this is what I want to make my focus, and this is the path I want to start to carve. But in that week, I learned right from the get-go that if you look in the back of the baseball card for all the sportscasters out there, nothing's going to sound similar. Like we said, every path is different. So that's the exciting part about it. It's also the nerve wracking part about it because there's no guarantee at the end. So I think it was really beneficial 
for me to learn that right from the start and figure out, hey, this is a challenge. This is a path I want to go down. I know you talked about this. So you take from from that, which is incredible that you went to that camp. And by the way, I mm-hmm. could totally relate to like feeling like, oh, do I actually want to do this? It's kind of weird. <laughs> but yeah. like, and you're telling people like, yeah, this is actually what I'm doing for a living right. um, or trying to do. And there's so many different paths, but you decide to forge your own. And I think one of the things you talked about was sitting in the upper deck at games and like just broadcasting games to yourself. So how did you decide to do that? What what happened next? So after you decided, okay, I want to do this. This is something I want to do. What was the next step you took? So I went to Fordham University and there I, I realized that they have a pretty special program and a good pedigree for sports broadcasting. And it kind of stems from the radio station, WFUV, which stands for Fordham University Voices. And I'm sure a lot of people know, but it was the radio station that Vince Scully worked at when he was in college. There's a large Fordham footprint on all the the New York sports teams, whether it's the Yankees with Michael Kay, uh, Jack Curry, Ryan Rucco, LFDS Network, Mike Breen with the Knicks, Chris Carino, the radio voice of the the Brooklyn Nets, John Giannone, who covers Rangers hockey on MSG. You have Spiro Didis, who was a former voice of the Knicks, the Lakers, yep. uh, you know, calls football on CBS, Charlie Slows, Washington Nationals. Like it was all there. And it's all in your face when you're in college. And it gives you a sense of, uh, of belief that, hey, this, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is the system that I can thrive in. And it's up to me now to do the work. And there are countless more other than those names that I mentioned. And I just, like I said, ingratiated myself into the work at the radio station. I was in the radio station more than I was in my off-campus apartment. I consider that my classroom. I couldn't tell you a lick of what I learned inside an actual classroom at Fordham University. It was all in the radio station. And that's where I learned the art of play-by-play and hosting talk shows and beat reporting. And when I was in school, I would be in... Uh, theology class in the morning, English class in the afternoon. And at night, I'd be covering a Met game at Shea Stadium for the radio station. It was really cool because WFUV is an NPR affiliate. It's not looked at as a college radio station. So we're recognized by the New York media as a professional radio station. And we were credentialed to cover sporting events. And that was wildly beneficial for everybody involved. And they still do it. And At Shea, I spent the 2007 season covering the Mets. And at times, play-by-play was always the thing on my mind as a college student. And at times during the season, I had my handheld recorder. It was actually a a mini-disc player. I don't expect you to know what that is, (laughs) but uh, a mini-disc recorder. And I would, yeah, I would go up to the upper deck, last few rows. Uh, I remember clearly Mets and Nationals playing at Shea Stadium. Uh, you know, at the time, the Nationals were a dumpster fire. The Mets were really good. They had Orlando Hernandez on the mound. El Duque was pitching. I think Ryan Church was in the game. Whatever. Uh, I, I called an, a couple of innings of that game. I sent that tape to an independent baseball team the next season, and that's where I landed my first internship to call minor league baseball play-by-play. Um that's what that's the tape that led to me getting my first job in baseball. It's truly amazing. And I want to talk about minor league life in a second, mm-hmm. but something you touched on is so interesting that like 
was there ever a plan B? Because like, what if this doesn't work? I'm sure like there's so many points where you're going through the grind and it's like, oh, maybe this won't work out. And like you said, you weren't necessarily listening in other classes. Did you feel sometimes like I'm letting other opportunities slip away for this kind of like, I don't know, shot in the dark dream? There was never a plan B. I think much to my my parents' chagrin, there was never a plan B. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I probably thought about what a plan B would be more often than I should have, but I never really thought about it too much because when you start to think that way, you kind of get sidetracked. And I, I believe you start to compromise with yourself, especially during the downtimes where you think, all right, well, maybe this isn't for me. I, maybe I have exhausted all my resources and my abilities and it's just not supposed to be my fate. And then, like I said, you sort of fall back into that plan B. So yeah, for me, there, there was no plan B as tempting as, a backup plan or an alternative sounded at certain points. It just never, never materialized that way. Thankfully. Yeah. I love that. And I think like I talk about this in sports, but I talk about it on my podcast a lot. I think so many people can relate to that. Like if you have something you want to go for, mm-hmm. like just go for it. Like if, once you're giving yourself an out, you're almost allowing yourself to have an excuse. Um, you talked about minor league baseball. That is so interesting. I've talked to a couple of minor leaguers and it's such a grind for them just you know going from motel six to motel six if not if, if even that right and then i can imagine for a broadcaster the minor league life is even crazier yeah and, and i'm now 10 years removed from doing that and it's a hustle and when you're in the moment i don't think you appreciate it as much as you probably should but it's tough to do and i did it when i was young thankfully i did it when i was maybe between 20 21 and 26, 27. And now I look back on it and man, I had so much fun and I lived in certain areas of the country that I think I would have no business stepping foot in if it weren't for minor league baseball. And I'm talking about like Knoxville, Tennessee and Mobile, Alabama. And again, I'm a kid from Northern New Jersey. So living in Mobile, Alabama was, uh, it was a culture shock for sure. But I have some great friends for life that I still keep in touch with. And I may have not seen for years, but we still, like I said, keep in touch. And it was just an incredible learning ground and not just for learning what to do, but learning what not to do and how to not handle yourself in, in larger, more professional settings. So I'm really thankful for my time there, but it is a grind, constantly working, low pay. You're wearing multiple hats. And if you're not doing seven things at once, you're really not working hard in the eyes of your peers. And that's okay. So, because they're doing the same thing. So, it's a wonderful training ground, in my opinion, for people who want to get into the pro sports industry. Okay. So, then you go from minor leagues. Obviously, it's a process. Like you said, this was 10 years ago, but you yeah. do get your start with the Yankees. How did that come about? There's a lot that happened in between, but um, I at first I I was doing minor league baseball, but I was coming back to the tri-state New York area every off season, and Sirius XM satellite radio let me anchor for them as you know, be a sports anchor there. But also when the baseball season rolled around, they let me go do the season and come back. And I'm really grateful for that. Put some money in my pocket you know, young kid, again, you're not making much money in minor league ball and slowly, but surely one job leads to another. I got hooked on at WCBS 880 when the Yankees still had their games on the radio. There had a small part on the post game show 
they left for WFAN. I still stayed on as a sports anchor at WCBS, which is a a radio blowtorch around the country, not just in New York. It's It's a massive radio station doing little jobs, you know, here and there. Uh, working at Westwood One, still working at Sirius, working for the NBA, hosting some of their international programming on television, getting the first foray into TV. Uh, you know, someone knows somebody, someone connects me to someone. It's just the way the, the job and the world works. Obviously. All about relationships. Yeah, here. for yeah. sure. It's half of half the battle. The Yankees had an opening for their you know, scoreboard hosting and their digital hosting and re- reporting role. Uh, I came in for an audition and they liked me enough to hire me. And uh, look, no coincidence, someone there knew who I was. You know, there was a prior connection and that got me the audition. But I think the audition got me the job. So, you know, the, the, the tape never lies. That's what someone always told me when you think about, oh, this person got the job because they know someone. Well, maybe that opened the door. But in order to kick it down, you got to bring it right. You, the, the tape doesn't lie. So I'm sure they weren't going to hire me just based on a, a, a relationship that I had. Um, yeah. They, after getting that job, one thing leads to another um, led to some fill-in roles on the yes network. And here this season I'm doing that. Um, and again, filling in for John on the radio. So you're a kid coming into the Yankees and for like a, like you said, a digital scoreboard stuff, but you're coming in with obviously aspirations of a lot more than just that. And you look around and I know you kind of talked about this with Craig and Evan on FAN in New York, where it's like, what was the reaction to you by the, your peers who had been there, I guess, Michael Kay and John Sterling and all those people, when they looked at you as this kid, you were probably walking around trying to just take everything in, learn everything, trying to do more than maybe you were supposed to. But like, what was that? What was the reaction to that? You mean when I first started? When you first started, yes. Oh, I was just trying to stay out of anyone's way. <laughs> Got it. I mean, I was trying to... What year was that? that? My first full... I started as a backup, like whenever they needed a fill-in. I did that in 2015 and 2016. And then 2017 was the first year where I was the primary person. Got it. And... I mean, I knew Michael a little bit because of the Fordham connection, yep. but everybody else... And also knew Jack Curry. Yep. Um, but everybody else, yeah, I tried to stay <laughs> their way. Yeah, and, I can um, imagine. Ul- yeah, ultimately, I, I think I, I don't want to say I earned their respect, so to speak, but I think I earned the attention just through, through the work, really. Yep. Um, you know, made them kind of see that hey, this person, this person gets it. They know what what they're talking about, or at least I hope this. And and ultimately, that's how I fostered, I think, a lot of relationships just through that trust. And I'm not just some person who got hired who kind of doesn't know what they're what they're doing. And um, that 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 was important to me. Still is important to me, especially when uh, you know the, the interview you're referring to with Craig Carton and Evan Roberts. When I look at Yankees media. I think of the people who are still there that were there during the really lean years. And you're thinking, well, when, when was that? It's the Yankees. There was a time in the late eighties and the early nineties where this team, this organization wasn't looked at the same way as it is now. And you know, when you're dealing with legends in the form of George Steinbrenner, Billy Martin, Gene Michael, Buck Showalter, I, I think of the people who were there covering the team who were probably even younger than I am now, 
with Michael Kay and with Jack Curry and Susan Waldman. And, you know, John Sterling was there as well. Uh, Bob Clappish, Joel Sherman. Those, those are people in terms of baseball IQ, acumen, and the way they cover the game. I hold them in, in the highest regard. So to me, Yankees media, like that's their sandbox that everyone's in. They own it. We're all just paying rent. Yep. And I, I get the feeling that I have the respect from some of them. And that means a lot to me. So yeah. that's, that's what I was referring to there. And it's, it's so true. So to be able to work with Susan in the capacity that I'm working with her and filling in for John and all, I mean, it is that that's surreal to me. That's the surreal part. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, obviously, because how do you get that job? Like, do you apply for this, for the radio, like fill in for John? Like there's no application that you can fill out like Yankee broadcaster, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think again, through the work, I, I guess I did with the organization, they come to know you, they come to trust you, you know, they, they think, all right, he's not going to embarrass himself or the brand. And I definitely won't like, that's my pledge that I've had. Like I, I won't, I love it too much. And also, like I said, I've always done different types of jobs, but play by play has always been in the back of my mind and it's always been the goal. And it's kind of similar to what I was doing in college where I was covering Met games at Shea stadium, but I would go up into the upper deck and record games. My vantage point for a lot of the games that I work with at Yankee stadium is in my boss's office. My boss's office is essentially a radio booth with a couple of desks in it. So during games over the years, yeah, I would lug in some equipment and I would record games and I'd probably record between, I don't know, 20, 30 games a year with, myself or with you know one of my my partners in Yankees Digital Brian Clark and we would we would record radio demos and I got taped there and I think a big part of this job and just this industry too is like okay yeah you want to do something well have you done it and they're like well no I do this but okay well have you done this like that's what we're looking for so even though I haven't done play by play in an official capacity anywhere I wasn't developing rust I was still getting right. some reps. No one was hearing them, but when the time came for someone to hear it, well, it was good quality, not just with sound, but it also showed that I wasn't rusty and I knew what I was talking about. So I think, uh, I think it helped when, when the time came, when the people in the Yankees organization needed something to listen to, to give them basically their own product. I think that made a good impression on them because they could hear something similar to what they would receive if the real situation ever came about. And it has. That's awesome. And so how do you learn that that was going to be your job? Meaning how'd you find out that you were getting this gig? Um, I, I, (laughs) there was a lot of whispers for sure. So I'm, I'm a big proponent and don't believe it until it's official and you're hearing it from the right person. Especially in this business. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, part of me was like, I'm not, I'm not going to believe it until I'm actually in the booth. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've worked at WFAN Odyssey as well. So I already have the relationship with them. I have the relationship with both sides between the Yankees and WFAN and, and some of the higher ups at Odyssey, you know, gave me the word officially that, Hey, like, can you, can you be in Toronto next, whenever it was next week for the, for that first series, obviously I said, yes. And of course, and that's how it happened. The, the, you know, the, the good folks at Odyssey were able to make it happen. That's awesome. And 
So what was your reaction? Who was the first person you reached out to, you called or whatever? Was it like, mom, I told you so? Or like, <laughs> how'd that go? Um, it was my girlfriend. And then I, th- I can't remember. I think it, it, was, it was definitely my parents, but I'm trying to remember my, so my parents are not sports fans. Okay. And, and that makes it harder. <laughs> you know, it makes it extremely harder yeah. when you think about trying to explain them why this career path is worth yeah. it. Wait, so um, you're saying you're 30 and not making any money still and traveling to random yeah. cities? Like, I don't understand it. Yeah, yeah I guess so, that's harder when they're not sports fans. Yeah, so they're, I think my mo- mother's first reaction, her raw reaction was, you know, does it come with benefits? <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, but no, they were, they were over the moon. They were really happy. They know that this was, this was something that I've, you know, thought about for a while. And, uh, yeah. And then from there, a lot of, uh, in the day, in the day and age we, we live in, obviously good news travels fast and yeah. people were coming to me, uh, yeah. eventually just based off what everyone was saying on Twitter. So I didn't have to reach out to too many people before they reached out to yeah. me, but yeah, exactly. I, I kept, you know, obviously close family and, uh, and close friends. That's awesome. And so what was the prep like? So you said you talked about the nerves and Susan before then all that. Did you seek advice from John, from Susan, from Michael, anyone uh, before the first game? I don't want to sound cocky or anything like that, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> I just because I'm in, in I, I do a bunch of stuff, right? I do, I, I do. I like hosting. I like reporting. I like interviewing. I love asking questions. But the one thing that I think I'm most comfortable doing is calling a baseball game just because I've done it the most, you know, I've called close to a thousand baseball games in, in my career, whether it's collegiate minor league, I've called spring training games for the Cubs as well. So this is the thing I'm most comfortable in. I knew what to do. I knew the preparation. I, to me, that preparation is, is therapeutic. I love going through the day to day and I, I knew how to, how to handle it, how to navigate it. John gave me a small piece of advice and essentially to summarize it, it was, Hey, because you've done so much of that, don't overthink what's in front of you. Just follow the ball, keep it simple. And it was really nice to hear from him about, you know, regarding that subject, but I, I, I didn't seek any advice just because I, I confidently know what I'm doing when, when a baseball game is going on the radio. And that's, I think that's what is the main reason why I probably had zero nerves going into the series that I filled in for the first time. So Yankee fans can be tough critics though. So how was the reaction? How did people accept you? Couldn't tell you. Turn notifications off. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. uh, Definitely did that during the series, but from everyone I heard from, in real time, right? Not a Twitter account. Yep. Uh, it, it was pretty positive. So I, I just recently was able to go back and listen to the first three games I've done. And there were definitely things that you got to tighten up and work on. But I think those elements are probably absent in the regular listeners ears, it's things that they can't hear. They, they don't kind of pop up in front of them. So I know the audience probably didn't know that I, you know, probably I was, a, I'm, I'm my harshest critic. So, yep. um, you know, there were some things that I was generally upset about that. Hey, like that can't happen. You got to clean that up. But for the listener, the average listener, there are probably things that don't even enter their mind. So uh, yeah, they, 
definitely things that I, I want to tighten up overall, though, the reception was, was thankfully really positive. That's awesome. Do you allow yourself to kind of look down the road a little bit? I know it's tough with the day to day, but yeah. John's not going to be doing this forever. Is that something you allow yourself to even think about? So I mentioned that camp, that sports broadcasting camp, yep. Ian and Bruce and Ian Eagle from a very young age taught me something. And I don't think he was making it like a teaching moment, but whenever he said it, it just, for whatever reason, was just embedded into my brain. It really helped me. And he said, I know it's really hard, but try not to think so far down the road or try not to look so far down the road. And I genuinely don't. I mean, cause I know nothing's been accomplished really. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a dream job for sure, but you know, I'm, I'm just filling in. I'm trying, you know, it, it's not like I'm trying to be modest or anything like that, but I don't, I don't take much for granted. Uh, I don't look pat and this is just the way I live life too. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't look into things too much. Like I analyze what reality is and I go off that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we still have a season to get through. I kind of sound like Aaron Boone here, like, Hey, one game at a time, <laughs> but yeah, it, no, I totally get what you're yeah, saying. It's it's, and it's 100% pure. I, I promise you it is. So I'm just kind of waiting for that next series to go. And I can, you can only control what you can control. And if you can put up 500% of your efforts into what you can control, I believe that good things will eventually happen, but yep, that's just me. Yeah, that's awesome. I, with Odyssey, they actually called me and they were like, Hey, we're doing this special baseball pro uh, project for some of the uh, part-time employees. We want to know if you want if you're interested in listening to games and just practicing our stream. And so immediately I said to them, I want to listen to San Francisco giant games. Cause I want to hear John Miller. Um, I met Mike Breen recently. He's like, uh, to me, he's one of the best. Was there someone for you who that was like, listening to them is broadcasting school in and of itself. Sure. Uh, especially when I was doing it day to day in the minors, uh, every, every day through the MLB app, I would get ready for my day and I would listen to games from the night before. And the people who I would listen to were Howie Rose, of course, from the Mets and Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler from the Nationals. Yep. Um, Dave Fleming, John Miller from the Giants, and Tom Hamilton from the Guardians. And I still listen to them as much as I can. Obviously, not as much as I did when I was in the minors every day, but I love in, in terms of the art of play by play and what I feel uh, is is something that I can take from each of them and kind of mold it into my own. And, and I really think anyone who you're watching, like you could take something. Yep. Okay. You, you can really take something from everybody. Um, but for them, I, I believe in, I believe in informing, entertaining and educating. And I also believe in just, being as descriptive of po as possible on the radio. It's just, I know some people may think it's just too much, but what are we there for? Right? Like yeah. you're literally the ears and eyes of the listener. And I yep. love it. I love painting the word picture. I love the challenge of that. Yep. And I think I, you know, I can take something from all of them and kind of combine it and, and make it into my own. And that's what I try to do. So I, I love listening to all of them to this day. I, I listen to every broadcast for sure. Those, those were my guys though, growing up. And when I mean, grow up, you know, early to mid twenties, when you're, yeah. 
you're putting in your work and you're developing. Those are the people that uh, definitely left impressions on me. So as you're listening to those people, there's kind of mm. a new age of broadcasting that might be the future. We're seeing it now with you work for John Boy. We're seeing they have the alternate broadcast. Do you think ultimately there is kind of a combo of those two? What do you think of the new broadcast that kind of, you know, is more kind of talking about the game, talking about money lines, betting lines and all, all that stuff while incorporating some of the obviously the, the baseball history and all that stuff that you get from a guy like John Sterling? I think adapter die is something that I prescribe to. And I think everybody should, especially in this industry, because you don't know where it's turning next, but I could tell you that gambling is not going away. It's only going to be amplified in terms of like people watching people, you know, like these live streams that places yeah. like John boy media yep. put on. I am still fascinated by that. I'm still <laughs> fascinated by that concept. I think just because I'm a certain age and I grew up, watching a game completely different, but yep. I've been a part of those and I am blown away by the number of people who that tune watch in. it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. And it's, it is cool. It's really cool. It's, it's, it's different and different doesn't have to be bad. And I don't believe it is. It's, it's entertaining. Um, as far as being on the other side, like being a viewer, I don't think I'm, I don't think I've been trained, right? Like I'm, I'm just not that age where, where I'm yeah. going to alter my viewing experience that way. Um, but I really enjoy providing that form of entertainment to the listener. So being on that side has been really fun. And if, if that's the way it's going, it's, it's cool. I mean, for me, it's, it's more relaxing, yeah. literally. Like you're, you're sitting back in a chair, you're kicking your feet up. It's uh, it's nice, but uh, it's it's remarkable to see how the viewing experience is evolving here for sure. So you start with John Boy. You obviously uh, have the podcast with David Cohn. How did that yeah. come about? Starting with John Boy, the podcast with David Cohn, all that. So I've I've wanted to do a podcast leading up to that for a while, but I just didn't want to do one. And I think a lot of people who kind of explore that and and get into it say the same thing. And I wanted to stick to what I knew. Obviously, I'm a big boxing fan and a commentator. So I was trying to figure out, is it boxing? Is it baseball? Um, and I shaved it down. I'm a huge fan of pitching within baseball. And Same. I, yeah, I identify that niche. Um, I've thankfully had a, a, a nice working relationship with David Cohn through the years working for the Yankees, seeing him daily at, at the stadium. And I just thought, Hey, would he be interested in doing a podcast? Um, I made it clear to him that if he was interested, would he be committed to doing it weekly and with a young audience always in mind? Yeah. And I thought those were two very important aspects of getting this off the ground. And he said, yeah. So at that point we developed it. We obviously shopped around and we both said, even before we, I guess, started shopping, we both, we had James Smythe involved as well from the S network. And we kind of all agreed that, Hey, we want to align ourselves with John boy media because everything that they do, you could tell they're having fun. Yeah. And we want to align ourselves with that. So yeah, we shopped around and it just made more sense after talking with, Jimmy and Jake and some other people there. And 
we couldn't be happier. It's been a lot of fun and they do wonderful work. They're so organized, so with it. And I think they are going to be, they've already been trailblazers, but they're just going to be leading the path in terms of new media. And we're really thankful to be part of it. Yeah. It, it's so cool what they do. And about Cone for a second, because you yeah. talked about how kind of gearing it towards a younger fan. I think something he's so incredible at, and I work with Bill Ripken. I, I produced the, po- yeah. the the pregame show for, uh, for the Orioles down here. And he does the same thing where it's so complex and yet simplified the way he says it. He's taking things that are complex and he just simplifies it for the audience. And something like pitching, I was watching uh, Brady Singer last Sunday uh, pitch for the Kansas City Royals. And it was just so simple what he was doing. He's throwing like a sinker that was going away from left-handers and a slider off it that was diving down and in at the left-handers and just explaining that and watching that like he had a game plan and following it that's something that cone is better than anyone at yeah. like and for someone who loves pitching like yourself as i assumed you did um that that must be amazing to sit there and listen to him talk like that yeah it's that what singer's doing it's like the x grid yeah like the you know x access or whatever you want to call it but uh but I agree with what you said about Billy Ripken. They're actually really similar because they're able to marry. He hates being and- called Billy, by the way. I learned that very quickly. All right. So William, <laughs> Bill. William, Bill, Bill. Uh, <laughs> there you go. No, but, but I agree. Watching Bill on MLB Network over the years, he and David have a rare ability to take a lot of what they've learned when they were playing, marry it together with what they're seeing today, and just simplify it for the audience. And I'll tell you what. When I had this idea and I was getting ready to approach David about the idea, if he said no, the concept would have died on the vine right there because I can't think of anybody else that this would work with in the way that I kind of wanted it to work. And David's just been terrific. And I think this is a a podcast and a topic that just is molded for a guy like David or molded for a guy like Bill. So I think they're two of the best in terms of explaining it in a very compact, concise way to the viewers. I think that's why they're both successful in this. I do want to talk baseball for a minute before we let you go. Um, Obviously the Yankees, there's not much to complain about. They're coming off a little bit of a tough series in Boston where you win the first two games and then you have leads in the second two games and you lose both of them. But overall, how can you complain right now? Um, where do you think this team is headed, though, uh, as far as the trade deadline? Like we've seen, obviously, with Joey Gallo, seems like a good guy. I'm not there. I, he's an easy guy to root for, yet it's been so tough for him. Um, do you do you think that they're going to be moving off of him? Where do you see this team going? I think it's good that they've encountered a couple of minor road bumps over the yeah. last month or so, whether it be tight games with the Astros this weekend's past weekend series with the Red Sox, a couple tight games kind of just fallen victim to what Fenway park is, but I think it's really good. I think it's healthy. I think it shows them that they have work to do. Like they're not a finished product. They should be adding at the trade deadline, what those pieces are. You know, we still have a month to go about. And I, I think the emergence of Aaron Hicks's power in the last couple of weeks, really, the production has improved since around the beginning of June, but the power, the slugging has increased with Aaron Hicks. And I think he's getting more and more comfortable as he furthers himself from his, his injury. And I think that's been a big plus in terms of trying to identify another outfielder. You mentioned Joey Gallo hasn't worked so far. I think if you're a championship team, and you have that those aspirations of getting to where the Yankees want to go, they probably need to look at alternatives at this point. 
And I think right around the all-star break coming out of the all-star break, they will, but I don't think an adding an outfielder is as pressing as adding a starting pitcher and another arm in the bullpen. The starting pitching has been terrific. It's been the best in the league set aside numbers. Health is extremely important to me. Innings pitched is an extremely important stat to me and the Yankees. I think off the top of my head, they've only had four games this year where a starting pitcher outside of their rotation has had to make a spot start. That is incredible. Can it hold up? It's tough to say, but I think getting another arm to stabilize that rotation and increase the strength would be very important, especially as they go into a seventh month of the season in October. And I think just to have another relief arm, uh, an effective relief arm that you can add with Clay Holmes and Michael King and Eventually, Jonathan Lewisco, when he gets back, or Roldis Chapman as he tries to figure himself out here this season. I think that's a plus. And then I would look toward adding an outfielder and potentially a middle infielder as well. But those are definitely secondary items in my eyes for a, a two starting pitcher and a reliever. Got it. Um, you want to tell one quick story from someone from this team? Just a cool story. It doesn't have to be from this year, but like a moment you had that you kind of behind the scenes moment with someone from this team. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say what. Um, and this I think just goes to show like what kind of guy Aaron Boone is. Um, we were in Toronto, and that was the first series I filled in for John, and he's a really nice guy. And I, I do think a lot of him as a manager as well, but just as a, on a personal level, like he's, he's a good dude and he didn't have to say anything to me. And I, th- I believe it was the day right before the last game and he was going to do his pregame press conference and he just walked past me and he's, he's like, Hey, I heard, I heard you're a really good radio announcer up there. And that was really encouraging. It was really nice. You didn't, awesome. any- yeah. didn't have to say anything. Yep. Um, and, uh, and I asked him, you know, I said, hey, thanks. Uh, you know, have any tips? Just playfully. And he said, <laughs> you know, and he just said he was serious, too. And I appreciated that. And he goes, he was on TV. The- yeah. He was like, let the game come to you. Essentially, don't again, don't overthink things. Don't go outside of yourself. Be yourself. Calm down. Always remind yourself to kind of calm down. Just let the game come to you. So I thought that was really nice of him. Again, it's something that. Uh, no one had to do, and that's uh, that's probably one of the more recent cool stories covering this team. Yeah. Have you seen the Jeter doc yet? Not yet. I'm waiting just All like right. everybody else, and I am really intrigued, and I think big reason why is because it's more than one episode, and he didn't give a lot of dirt to anybody over no. here. So I'm wondering what they could pack into seven yeah. episodes with this we'll man. See. But I'm yeah, I'm excited and I'm intrigued. For All sure. right, plug your stuff. Uh whatever you got going on, talk about it. Other than the Yankees on the radio, obviously. Yeah. But tone the slab pitching with David Cohn. It's been a uh, nice little product yep. here. Yeah. Last, uh, last seven, eight months. Been really enjoying it with David and James. It's on John boy media comes out wherever you get your podcasts every Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, I don't know when this podcast is getting released. I'll be on yes. Network tonight. coming up. Yeah. Coming up this, this series with the reds filling in on, on the, clubhouse side so we have some interesting stuff going on there with the yankees being involved in hope week some cool stuff involving anthony rizzo's foundation 
a lot of really cool items up for auction and that foundation is holding an auction in conjunction with the yes network so it's uh definitely tune in to hear more details about that but uh yeah tone the slab is a big one man awesome yeah <laughs> so, yeah subscribe rate review subscribe that's way you can show some love for that podcast and if you are a fan of baseball but just intrigued by the art of pitching david cohen's your guy and you get it all on that 100%. podcast yeah uh, well i really appreciate you doing this thank you i'm rooting for you keep killing it um uh and uh let's keep in touch all right ronnie thank you so much man and uh i'm, I'm rooting for you for sure definitely thank taking you. an interest in your climb so uh keep it going man all right thank you Thank you again to Justin for joining me. That was uh, awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. We actually stayed on after uh, to talk a little bit to continue. Just like I said, he's been so helpful with helping me uh, through my path and my journey and figure out what I'm trying to do here. And people who are like that and willing to give from their own time is just people who I've really respected in this industry. So I really do appreciate it. So uh, I appreciate you, Justin, if you're listening still. So thank you. And uh, to everyone else, I will see you guys next time. Like I said, I'm probably going to record. So uh, this is Tuesday morning. I assume this is coming out now. So I definitely will record Wednesday night and have another episode up Thursday morning for you guys instead of doing the wednesday morning and friday morning we'll have tuesday morning and thursday morning up for you guys so until then see ya you were the best nights of my life you got the light that always shines i miss the way that you move and the way i get high when you take me to your eyes like i'm standing in the sky your subway cars and road graffiti i breathe your air when i land in another city i'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones yeah you're all i know everywhere i go oh, oh, i change it oh, oh, oh. always on my Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a soaked out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you Printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know
BK, born and raised, I was God sent. I used to hit them courts, y'all didn't prospect. Take them long walks on my time spin. Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset. Kick flipping off a of blind deck. Dipping from the New York City's finest, yeah. Said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side be the only side that I'm riding. I'm still here.